Please turn to Mark chapter 4. Well, it's a Harvest Thanksgiving service, so as you may well imagine, I'm going to give you a, a lesson on agriculture. Okay? We're going to be looking at seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. And in the parable that we're going to consider this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ tells a story about a man who casts seed into the ground and in due time the ground brings forth fruit and that fruit is harvested. Before we look at the parable, we're told at the beginning of chapter 4, it was read to us a few minutes ago, we're told at the beginning in verse 1 that a multitude of people had gathered on the seashore and Jesus taught them from a ship. He used a uh, a fishing boat, a, f- a fishing boat as his pulpit. In verse 2, it says that he taught them many things by parables. And then starting in verse 3, Jesus spoke about a sower who sowed seed that fell upon four different types of ground. I'm sure that many of you are familiar with that parable, the parable of the sowers, the sower or the parable of the the, the seeds. Jesus goes on to say that only one of the four types of ground was good and it yielded fruit and the fruit sprang up and it multiplied and brought forth some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold and some a hundredfold. We're specifically told by Jesus in verse 14 that the seed is the word. In other words, the seed that was cast into the four different types of ground is the word of God or the word of the kingdom. As for the four different types of ground, in verse 15, we're told that they are hearts. So the word of God is being cast into four different types of hearts. The focus in that parable is not so much on the seed that is sown, or the word of God that's sown, but it's on the different types of ground. One can one can most certainly assume that the, the seed that is sown is always going to be good. Why would that be? Because the seed is the word of God. And the word of God is always good. It can't be anything other than good. But the, the same cannot be said about the four different types of ground. Only one type of ground um, was prepared and able to bring forth fruit from the seed, the good seed that was sown. You may have been told that that we're all good. Ultimately, deep within us, we're all good and that the heart is good. And this is what's being drummed into us in this world, uh, from from an early age, that there's good in all of us. How often do you hear that? Well, that's not what the Bible teaches, actually. The Bible describes the heart as deceitful, above all things, and desperately wicked. And every time I quote that, I point out that the he- the heart is so deceitful, it deceives you. Your own heart deceives you. Your heart deceives you into thinking that you're somehow better than others. Your heart deceives you into thinking that you're not actually that bad. 
That's deception for you. And desperately wicked. And in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, Jesus, who sees into our hearts, said that out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness and blasphemies. Now anyone who is not thoroughly deceived by their their heart probably, reluctantly, could put a tick against at least one of those things that I mentioned there. I'll say it again, out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, you don't have to stick the knife in someone's back to be guilty of murder. Jesus teaches that if you've got angry thoughts in your hearts without good reason, uh, you've you're guilty of murder in a sense and uh, we all have that don't we sometimes we may get out of bed the wrong side in a foul mood and I know I'm speaking for myself here and you, you entertain angry thoughts against someone even a brother or sister in Christ it's not good not good evil thoughts, murders, adulteries you don't have to flesh that one out Again, you can just simply look at someone with lust in your eyes, guilty of adultery. Fornications, thefts, false witness, saying, give it, bearing false witness against your neighbour, which is a form of lying. It's all lying. I'm sure there's not a Christian in here who doesn't lie. And blasphemies. Even so, by the grace of God, there are hearts that receive the word of God that is sown, and those hearts go on to bring forth fruit. Fruit of a genuine saving faith, and that is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus by the grace of God. Coming to the parable that we're going to consider this morning, the focus is not on the different types of ground, as it was in the parable of the sower, but on the seed, on that seed which is always going to be good. In other words, given that Jesus has already, what Jesus has already said in verse 14, the focus is not so much on the ground or the heart, but rather it's on the seed, the word of God, or the word of the kingdom. We're going to be looking at the word of the kingdom this morning, more than anything, more than looking at the actual heart that the word is sown into and the, the, the seed or the word that, that's sown and that multiplies, bringing forth fruit of salvation. Since there is a multiplication of fruit, it can be assumed that the word of God in this parable is cast into good ground. Not the, We haven't got the four grounds that we have in the parable of the sower. We've just got the one ground that is good. Not the other three grounds that, um, for various reasons, do not produce any fruit. Just one ground that is made receptive to the seed by God. We're going to consider this morning. Heart. Uh, we're going to look at hearts that have been opened, cultivated by God to receive his word which is truth. Right, we'll look at the parable now, verse 26 through to 29. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, 
he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Looking at verse 26 again, he said, Jesus said, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. And one might well ask, who is the man casting seed into the ground? And all too often, the answer you'll get is that the man is a church minister, perhaps a preacher, maybe an evangelist, or for that matter, anyone who's a Christian uh, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as his saviour from sin. And then what will follow is an explanation that all those people, anyone who is a Christian, ought to be going out. You ought to be going out, getting off your seat, going out and spreading the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sowing seeds into hearts. And what will come with that is an exhortation to do precisely that. After the service is finished, go to the town centre and preach the gospel. Perhaps speak to your friends at work or at school, in the community. Strangers, speak to strangers. I find that easier than anything, to be quite honest, speaking to strangers, complete and utter strangers about the Lord Jesus Christ. Especially in an aeroplane, where you you don't necessarily even have to look at the person. Or in a car, you don't have to look at the person. You can just talk about Jesus prayerfully, and you you don't even have to look at the person. And this is the the explanation, this is the exhortation you'll get uh, from this parable. That... The man is you, Christian, so get on with it. Do you know, all of what I've said there, it's not a bad thing. I can't think of a better use of your time if you are a Christian. And I've spoken recently about being lights in this dark world of sin and indeed telling people about Jesus. And if you're a Christian in here, someone's told you about Jesus, whether it's your mum, your dad, Sunday school teacher, a preacher. So there's nothing wrong with that, and that de- I, I, I presume that is the desire of the heart to 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 let people know, um, and to you want them to have the hope of glory that you as a Christian have, a hope that reaches up to heaven where Jesus is. And uh, it it wouldn't make sense for us to not say anything and to keep it to ourselves, and to be as lights hidden under a bushel. We're to be lights shining bright, reflecting the, the, the one who is the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. But having said all that, having said all that, if that is your understanding of the parable, it is a misunderstanding, because for one thing, whoever the man is that casts the seed into the ground... In verse 26, he is also credited with putting in the sickle because the harvest is come. In verse 28. And it will be seen 
that the harvest is a reference to the day of judgment. Have I given you any clues there who the man might be? Now, if it, it's not you or me, that, that, that rules us out, doesn't it? Who do you think the man is? The man who sows seed and who, who's there with his sickle at the harvest. How about the man Christ Jesus? So, this parable is not so much about us and what we ought to be doing as Christians. It's about King Jesus establishing his everlasting kingdom. Yeah? That's got to be better, isn't it? A consideration of Jesus rather than a consideration of us. Therefore, even though all of us who belong to Jesus are his agents for spreading the good news of his kingdom, we nevertheless do well to look beyond us to our highly exalted king. Don't imagine that the Lord Jesus Christ sleeps. Look at verse 27 there. And should sleep. This is the man who should cast seed into the ground. Verse 27. And should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring up and grow up. He knoweth not how. Again, don't imagine that the Lord Jesus Christ sleeps and that he has no idea how the word of God that is sown, that he has sown into men's hearts should spring up and grow. I think instinctively you know that this would not be the case. I know that it was the case uh, when Elijah was on, on, on Mount Carmel. Was it Mount Carmel, wasn't it? And he was mocking the false prophets there. They, they were calling on their God and they weren't being, their calls were not being answered. And, uh, the prophet Elijah said, what's the matter? Is your God sleeping? Because their gods were false gods. But Jesus, the Son of God, he sleeps, he slumbers not. The explanation given by the New Testament commentator Richard Lensky is very helpful for verse 27. He said that the heavenly sower never sleeps or slumbers, for him there is no night or day, and he who gave the word certainly knows all about the mysteries of its development in our hearts. What Jesus does in the parable is to compare himself to a man who scatters his seed and trusts that seed to grow of its own power. This trust is exhibited in the man's actions. He sleeps night after night and rises day after day and never worries about the seed. In fact, he does not even know how it grows. He only knows that it does so. This graphically illustrates the confidence that Jesus has in his word. Elsewhere in the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's presented as being seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. We've been looking a lot at that in our studies in Hebrews on Wednesday evening. Jesus, having been highly exalted, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, where he ever liveth to make intercession for his redeemed. All who have shed, whom he rather has shed his blood for. 
And now God has put all things under the feet of his beloved son and given him to be head over all things for the good of the church. Jesus doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber. Every moment of every day, Jesus is working everything out for the good of his church. And when you understand something of the wickedness of this world, you'll you'll appreciate that of necessity, the Lord Jesus Christ continually works all things out for the good of his church. This world is desperately wicked. It really is wicked. Uh, But even so, even though the rulers of the world take counsel against the Lord and against his Christ, and we see that in the days that we live in now, rulers getting together, conspiring against God and against his Christ. How do I say, how can I say that? Very easily, just look at the laws that are being enacted. Laws that are detestable. Laws that are thoroughly immoral are being enacted by our leaders. And we are being expected to say things and accept things which are clearly a violation of the natural order. We are supposed to accept that that, uh, that someone who's a man who declares himself to be a woman, utterly ridiculous on one level, but evil. God made them male and female. And so many people are going along with this nonsense. They're being gagged by the rulers of the world. And it is all about defying our maker, almighty God. This world is evil. We have rulers who are evil. And in varying degrees, the evil in this world can be seen at every level of society, from the least to the greatest, with people fulfilling the lust of their own sinful flesh. And by doing so, they fulfill the lust of the prince of this world, the devil. Even so, Jesus has said that he will build his church. How is that possible? Because Jesus, who is seated in heaven, having having risen victorious over sin, Satan and death, after his laying down his life at the cross, he is working everything out for the good of his church. So Jesus does not sleep. And what that means is that the word of God will continue to be sown into the hearts of all, that is all whom God has ordained from before the foundation of the world to be eternally saved through faith in his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have a look at verse 28. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. The word of God is powerful. For example, forget the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory is a big lie. The Creator God spoke everything into existence. Talk about his word being powerful. As it is written in Psalm 33 and verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath 
of his mouth. God spoke and it was done. Let there be light and there was light. And having made all things, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, upholds all things by the word of his power. We're told this in Hebrews chapter 1, that the Son upholds all things by the word of his power. That means that his word goes forth with all the power of his omnipotence. At the utterance of his word, the word of Jesus, his divine and infinite power keeps everything in its place and sustains everything. It is because the Son of God upholds everything by the word of his power that all of us ought to be very thankful to God for each new day, for the food that we eat, for the water that we drink, for the air that we breathe, for the sun that shines on us, for the rain that waters the crops, and so on and so on. Every one of God's creatures ought to be very thankful to their maker, almighty God, who upholds all things by the word of his power. If Jesus stopped just for one indivisible moment in time, if he just stopped upholding all things by the word of his power, it would be lights out for all of us. This whole world and everything would be finished. Jesus keeps all things going and he does so for the good of his church. And he will continue to do so until such time the very last of his elect has been called. Having made all things, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, upholds all things by the power of his word. Never forget that. We see the, an example of the word of his power or the utterance of his omnipotence at the tomb of Lazarus. Where Jesus spoke, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And in obedience to the word of the incarnate Son of God, Lazarus, who had been dead for four days and his body began to stink, he rose from the dead. A dead man was obedient to the word of God. With the understanding that the word of the Lord Jesus Christ that is cast into men's hearts goes forth with the power of God to raise people from the dead, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 the Apostle Peter spoke about being born again. That's you, Christian, born again. Being born again, not of corruptible seed. We know what the seed is now, don't we? Not Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. When you were raised up from spiritual death, You were raised up by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Therefore, even though everyone comes into this world dead in their trespasses and sins, the word of God raises to spiritual life all whose hearts have been opened and made ready to receive it. And as can be seen in verse 28, the earth brings forth much fruit which means that the word of God that is sown brings forth the fruit of salvation in the hearts of all 
who are the recipients of God's saving grace. Two varying degrees, that is. It, the, your heart, dear Christian, brings forth the fruit of salvation. I say your heart does, but it's the seed that is planted in your heart that grows and multiplies, bringing forth fruit. God As for what that fruit is, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I don't know. I, I, I Personally, I pray for all of these things. When I read that list, um, I realise that um, I, I do well to pray for more fruit in my own heart and in my life. Bearing in mind that some Christians die and they go to be with their Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, much sooner than others, we needn't think of the ongoing process of bringing fruit of the Spirit in terms of time, that's for sure. It's not as if after 10 years, 15 years, that's it, you're going to bring forth a a, a bountiful harvest. It doesn't work that way, does it? The harvest of fruit from the word of God that is sown need not be thought of in terms of quantity either. Again, some people bring forth more fruit than others. As can be seen in verse 20, some bring forth 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. Consider the solemn promise that the Lord Jesus Christ made to one of two dying thieves Dying thieves, Jesus was crucified in the middle of them and um, at first both of those thieves insulted and mocked Jesus for what they saw as his inability to save himself. Both of them were mocking and insulting the Lord Jesus Christ. But then one of them repented and he said to Jesus, Lord remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. How long do you think that person had been a Christian when he said that? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. When you think about it, the seed that was sown into that man's heart barely had time to bring forth any fruit at all. Even so, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Soon afterwards, that penitent thief died but he died having been forgiven all his sins and he died with the hope of glory. He died with the assurance that he would be with Jesus in paradise. That's amazing, isn't it? One minute he's insulting Jesus, next minute by the grace of God, clearly there was repentance in that man's heart for him to turn to Jesus and to say, Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Therefore, ultimately, it's all about the grace of God towards hell-deserving sinners whom he saves and sanctifies by the word of truth according to his timetable and according to his good pleasure. Nothing we can do. That thief on the cross, what did he do? 
to earn his salvation. Absolutely nothing. Let's have a look at verse 29. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. God has appointed a day when his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come again to judge everyone who has ever lived. And when that day comes, there will be a twofold harvest. As fully ripened wheat is reaped and gathered into barns, the children of the kingdom will be gathered and they will go away into life eternal. In other words, all of you who have trusted in Jesus on the on that final day, on the day of judgment, you will receive the kingdom of God that was it promised to you and you will go away to life eternal. On the other hand, everyone else who has ever lived will be gathered up like weeds and they will be cast into the everlasting fire because they have not known God and they have not not obeyed the gospel. They have never shown repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You may well ask if it is possible to know with any degree any degree of certainty if you will go away into life eternal instead of the other thing that I mentioned there, being cast into the everlasting fire when Jesus comes again in judgment and sits upon the throne of his glory. And there, it is possible to know with certainty if you truly believe that Jesus carried your sins in his own body at the cross, having lived a sinlessly perfect life on your behalf, that in itself is evidence that the word of God has been cast into your heart with saving power. Consequently, the solemn promise of Jesus that was given to the dying thief applies to you as well, whoever you are. When you die, you will go to be with Jesus in paradise. That was the conviction of the Apostle Paul who said, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. See the confidence Paul had? And note that Paul was not just speaking of the confidence that he had, he was speaking for all the believers in Corinth. He said, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And beyond that, he was speaking for all who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as repentant sinners, wherever they may be and throughout all generations. Makes no difference whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Does that include you? Does the word of God, which liveth forever, abide in your heart? In other words, are you willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, having trusted in Jesus as your Saviour from sin. Amen.